Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Visit the website, travelingculturati.com, connect with me on social media, and join the travel club. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. On a recent international trip, I was reminded how fluid things are and how quickly things can change in the world of travel. During my trip, there was a heightened security alert for air travel. So on my return flights and airport connections, I noticed the security was more sensitive to the contents of carry-on luggage. This made for a completely different experience on my return than I had at the same airports on my departure. The same items I had in my carry-on bag that were ignored were heavily scrutinized on my return. I did, however, feel a bit of discrimination at the Frankfurt airport, but... I'll save that story for another day. In today's climate of change, it's ultra important to connect to the news, stay abreast of current affairs, and to register with STEP, the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program with the U.S. State Department. If you follow me, you know the latter is a recommendation I've made before. Now, both actions will keep you informed of incidents and current affairs at home and abroad, and will prepare you for your travels every step of the way. As always, happy trails. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. We're on the road again. This time we've headed to New Orleans and no visit, especially for an African-American, would be complete without visiting the Whitney Plantation. And I've been trying to get here for three years. And then, of course, COVID happened. But the last time I was here was around the Christmas holiday. So your hours were shortened because of that. And then the pandemic hit in 2020. So first of all, thank you so much for being here, being in this place and having us here and being on our program today. Thank you for visiting. And in the pandemic, 2020 has been a tough one for us as well, because we're used to having people on the site and engaging with the visitors. And so it's very nice to have everyone visiting us back in 2021 and very nice to have you here with us. Yes, we're here on a friends and a family vacation. So it's even more special to be able to experience this with my parents, with my siblings, my nieces and nephews. So it's generations. And so we're passing on that history. So let's talk about the Whitney Plantation, the beginnings of it and it becoming the place that it is today. What was that first discovery of the place and the history. Whitney Plantation, as is known now, has been operating since 1752, and it continued operating until the 1970s. So it has quite a bit of history, 100 or so years during the time of slavery, but then another 100 plus years after emancipation. That's what many people don't realize. And the plantation system went on even after emancipation. But in 1999, the site was purchased by John Cummings, who originally wanted to buy a plantation. He felt as a rich Southerner that that was kind of the thing to do. But it was the research that came along with the site that compelled him to center this place on slavery. Since 2019, he stepped down and retired, and Whitney Plantation is now controlled by a predominantly African-American board, and we are completely nonprofit. And right now, and again, this is pretty much a product of 2020 and COVID policies, but 
I actually enjoyed this process. So what you're doing now Mm -hmm. is Mm self-guided, and you can either do it completely on your own and download the app, or you have devices for everyone Mm -hmm. to follow. But I would have to tell you that I kind of like being able to go through at my own pace Mm -hmm. and clicking away and going to each site, spending more time here if I want to or less time here, but still getting the history and the narrative, I did not feel shortchanged. So how was it putting that together? And do we think that this is something that's going to stay? <laughs> um, so yes, well, what happened is the idea for this self-guided tour was before COVID. At, before the pandemic, our numbers were over 100,000 people per year. And we were not able to welcome as many visitors because all of our guided tours were booked up. And we try to keep the tours at maximum of 30 people so that it is, you know, a productive, it is an informative experience. So we originally planned for the audio tour, had recorded, gotten prepared to open, to begin in the summer of 2021. And with the pandemic, we quickly created an app. And so we were able to use that for the pandemic. Now our plans, we will keep the self-guided tours, but our docents are in the process of learning more immersive conversational experiences. So that, like you said, it was in many cases, the visitors would want to spend more time at certain locations, especially in our memorials. They would like to read the names and have more contemplation. And it was difficult as a docent when people are having a moment and really immersed in the history. And even sometimes, a lot of times, emotional, and you're like, okay, come on, next stop. Mm-hmm. So we think that you know, having a self-guided tour is definitely something that is going to stay, but we will add experiences that will have either docents or one of our directors, our director of research, or maybe even me, that are giving um, more specialized tours. It truly did give you that time for contemplation, reflection, as you said, at the memorials if you want to stop or just stay along at a very comfortable pace for you. And as I'm watching my family, different members are finishing at different times, spending more time here or more time there. And so it does give you that individual experience. But I do want to talk about establishing the place after it was purchased and collecting the information, the artifacts, and the data that makes it so special that we can still maintain that history here. So, yes, the the research that was collected, and it was our director of research, Dr. Sek, is responsible for collecting a majority of that information. But the information and records that we use for the site are available through the notarial archives in New Orleans. It's a source. So any document that was notarized or any sales documents, so as enslaved people are being sold, there's documentation. And there's also other requirements, legal requirements. So for instance, my ancestor that was not sold to here, I am a descendant of Whitney Plantation, but I have a document of my ancestor that was sold what we say up the road to Laura Plantation about five miles at that time there were certificates of good behavior if you were an enslaved person in the upper south and were sold down to the south planters in this area wanted to make sure that you were not going to come down and start a rebellion so there was that big concern so he has a notarized document as a notarized certificate of good behavior Right. So any types of documents that's associated with a slave sale or that would need a notary, we have those records in the notarial archives. 
The courthouse is also a, a good source of information. So St. John the Baptist Courthouse in Louisiana, LSU's library. There's so many different sources of that information, but we all know that collecting for instance, history for genealogical purposes for African-Americans can still be very difficult because essentially these documents are showing our ancestors as property, right? So you really are looking for a property search rather than a search for a person. And I say that in the way that the law is treating people. So sometimes those records are not as accurate. And it's not necessarily that records are kept for every single person that was enslaved. Let's talk about this tidbit of information you dropped while you were speaking that you are a descendant of someone who was enslaved here. So let's talk about that and how you've been able to trace your lineage. So yes, I'm part of a descendant community. And most of the African Americans that live in this region, they're like my ancestry extends back into the 1700s and is a mixture of everyone that settled along this river and and includes our ancestors, of course, that were forced here, right? And so for so many generations, we didn't talk about slavery. So my connection and my understanding of this history is just tidbits, things that were mentioned offhand by a grandparent or a great uncle. Now they would say, oh yeah, our great grandmother is from the Whitney. My grandmother was from Laura Plantation. So you hear, you know, these tidbits of information and then it was really, you know, the plantations and the, the research that they did that allowed us to prove in the sense that, yes, indeed, our ancestors were from these different places. With plantations, they're very traumatic and very brutal places. And I know for so many of us, it's difficult to understand why they should even exist. But one of the positive things that I can say about plantations is that they are excellent repositories if they want to be. If they are upfront with the history and are truthful, there is a lot of information that these plantation sites hold. And I really would hope that the sites are doing what they can to make sure that especially African descended people are able to trace back their history and access that information. Well, for so long, plantation tours really meant the main house. And of course, you were seeing that different part of life and not really thinking beyond, even though we knew it, but not really visualizing or paying honor to those who also lived on that plantation, but in a very different way. So that's one reason that I really wanted to come to Whitney Plantation, because it's not that juxtaposition or that one-sided image of what the plantation is. Yes, there's that beauty of the plantation, but which eyes or which lens are you looking at that through? But uh, how does that feel to be here and to be in this position that you're in here at the Whitney Plantation and knowing you're a descendant of the Whitney Plantation? Well, I'm very honored to be here and I feel very connected to my ancestors, you know, growing up around so many plantations, there is a social pressure for African Americans to accept these sites and just to not cause any trouble. And if you're invited to a party at a plantation or a venue, you just go and just, hey, just enjoy the party and don't think about it, right? Being here at Whitney, I feel secure in a sense of peace and being able to speak the truth to this history and not being judged for it. 
it's the right thing to do. You know, these plantations, they're basically labor camps, right? I mean, people were imprisoned here. People were forced to be here and did not get to benefit from the fruits of their own labor. Everything was stolen from them. And there's such a pressure for us to be able to say that, you know, and I think this is one of the few places where we can uplift our ancestors and speak truth to their experience and not have to look over our shoulder. So that gives me a sense of peace. But it's also frustrating that I feel safer on the plantation than I do in outside society talking about this. Well, that certainly is something that we have to change because history is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we can't just tell the good parts of it or the parts we want to take ownership and accountability for and just wash away the ones that we don't want to take accountability for. And as I'm glad that you said, labor camps, and that some of the audio that you'll get, I certainly don't want to give away the audio, but I do want to paint the picture of what you experience here. And I think that there was an excellent job to keep the authenticity of what the plantation would have looked like, having some of those original pieces, but also walking through the trees here. I'm sweating, you're not, because I'm not from (laughs) (laughs) New New Orleans. Like, she's not sweating at all, and I'm like, really drenched here. (laughs) But we are sitting on some benches underneath a row of trees, and we see these rows of trees as we walk through the property. And the narrative tells us about how what is on the property was used during that time. Now, I understand with the slave quarters... There are some that are original, and of course others were brought in from other plantations to give you that complete feel. What percentage of those are actually authentic places from the Whitney Plantation? So I believe there are five cabins in total that is part of, like you said, the quarters that we have set up for the touring experience. The original quarters were 22 in total and were half a mile away from the big house, away from the site. So out of the five that we have now, two are original to this site. That is fantastic. And one of the other things that drew me to the Whitney Plantation and that I was able to experience here was the narratives and the stories of the children and the places that were paying honor to the children. Because also often we don't talk about children and how they may have been treated and what they went through and how they were affected by it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that struck me, and I will say that at 10, you were considered no longer a child. And therefore, your life as a child pretty much ended at that that point. So what is that importance and the significance of the children of the Whitney Plantation? So like you said, many people don't understand that children were also enslaved and children were forced into work. And even though at 10 years old, they were considered adults. And of course, we know that that is, you know, still very much a child. Their entire lives, even up to that point, probably had some aspect of labor that they're learning or that they're involved in. So if they are being babysat or cared for by one of their parents or an elder that's in the community, whoever they are with, they're probably learning some aspect of labor that that person is doing, right? And and our records um, here with one year, and I think it's during the 1860s, there are 34 children that are enslaved, and none of these kids are 10 years old. 
So up to nine, there's a break and then it starts up again after the age of 10. And so what does that tell us? That those children were sold away. And we have in the field of angels that has 2,200 children that died during enslavement in St. John the Baptist Parish. 39 children died here at this site. And we see deaths involving being struck by lightning. So out in the fields, getting struck by lightning. This is very dangerous work. Sugar work is the most dangerous. The life expectation from someone who starts in the fields is 7 to 10 years. So again, it lends to the brutality of that work and children are not free from that labor as well. I know we could go on and on because there is so much here. And I really want to say to one point you made earlier in that we all have different ways in which we process the information and the whole institution of slavery and where do we fit in with that and how it affects us emotionally and especially getting African-Americans to come and honor these places. There's still trauma and why some of us really can't face it. But to the other side of that, if we can embrace it, I like that you said it is paying honor to those who were here and making sure their stories are being told and therefore their legacies live on. Well, and absolutely. And also it helps us to understand that slavery in so many ways it didn't end, it just changed. And so as a member of the descendant community and as a resident here in this area, many of the former plantations, and there were literally hundreds, were purchased by petrochemical and chemical manufacturing plants. And so we still have plants that have the plantation big houses still on site that they manage. But this area is also known as Cancer Alley because of the petrochemical. So the plantation to plant pipeline is one that the current community is dealing with. Our cancer risks are higher than 95% of the rest of the country. Our ancestral burial grounds are everywhere around us. All of the sugarcane fields, many of the locations of the plants have buried unmarked cemeteries. The cemeteries of buried ancestors on these sites. And we are in a push now to both protect the land, protect the community from petrochemical and, and manufacturing, and also to identify and have these lands revered as sacred lands for our ancestors. They absolutely need to be that. And you're just such a wealth of information here, but also that connection Mm -hmm. to today. Absolutely. And that's why we need to know that history. That's why we need to honor that history and educate ourselves. And only then, I think, can we move forward with making those real changes. But we have to understand that that connection is still going on today. Well, Dr. Joy, thank you so much for joining me today. And I think I'll be back and certainly with a group. And I love the self-guided part. Well, glad to hear that you still find the the self-guided tour to be meaningful. We put a lot of work and effort into it. And we were certainly very concerned about making sure that we gave people the same experience. So thank you for coming. And by all means, please come back, bring family, friends. Because this history and this education is important. Now, since my interview and visit with Dr. Joy Banner and the Whitney Plantation, Hurricane Ida happened. Unfortunately, the Whitney Plantation suffered extensive damage because of Ida. 
After deciding too late to evacuate ahead of the hurricane, Dr. Banner found herself riding out the Category 4 storm at the Whitney Plantation in the Big House, a house her ancestors built. In another interview, Dr. Banner is quoted, There are many shocking, horrifying moments for me. When I saw the slave cabins completely flattened and demolished, it was such a heartbreaking and sinking feeling. I didn't realize the damage to the church was done until a couple of days later and walked up to the church and realized the door was completely blown off its hinges. Now, the first community Antioch Baptist Church was built 151 years ago by freed men and women just across the river. It's one of the historic and original structures now damaged in the storm on the grounds of the only plantation known to tell the story. The importance of the Whitney Plantation is that it's the only plantation that focuses almost exclusively on the lives of the enslaved people. And this is according to Dr. Banner. It's very much centered on the life and labor and the contributions of the enslaved Africans and their descendants. In her recount of writing out the storm, Dr. Banner says, we were there for 16 to 17 hours and it was very scary. At one point, a piece of the chimney collapsed and fell on the roof. A huge branch from the oak tree fell on the roof. And so we didn't know if the roof was going to collapse itself. Winds were howling the whole time, but we did feel as secure as we could in that type of situation. But we did feel odd because I imagined my ancestors and the fear they would get from this house. And here we are seeking it as a place of refuge. While some of the Whitney's physical history has been damaged or destroyed, it is still sacred grounds and Dr. Banner is determined to restore it. Dr. Banner says, there's such a desire to push slavery out of our minds and just focus on the good times. But when we do that, we push away the contributions of enslaved Africans. These are Americans, our first Americans. They're our patriots. They're our revolutionaries. And we need to understand and appreciate and educate people on how much of the backbone of the country is built on them and their labor. The Whitney Plantation is primarily funded through visits and private donors. And prior to the pandemic, they were averaging 100,000 visitors. That has since changed. And now they're facing another blow, being closed due to the storm. They are accepting much needed donations and they can be made online at WhitneyPlantation.org. My visit to the Whitney Plantation in July was a phenomenal experience. And to speak with Dr. Banner, a descendant of the enslaved from the Whitney Plantation was truly an honor. You can follow me on social media to see the images from my visit to the Whitney Plantation. Traveling Culturati is traveling again, and we've got a fantastic lineup for 2022, and we're working on 2023's lineup as well. We're going to Ghana January 21st through the 29th, 2022, for a cultural experience. We'll visit Cape Coast, have our naming and atonement ceremony, connect with the Ghanaian culture, its history, visit the W.E.B. Du Bois Center, and of course, taste the Ghanaian cuisine. We're also heading to Dubai and the Maldives. 
The Dubai Expo 2020 is being held 2021 and 2022, and we're going to be there February 23rd through March 2nd. This year's theme for the Expo is Connecting Minds and Creating the Future. So Dubai is obviously the place to be because it is a place of modern marvels. Going beyond Dubai, we're offering an extension to the Maldives for a luxurious over-the-water bungalow experience. You can go to TravelingCulturati.com for more information and to book any of our upcoming trips. When I come back, we'll have the culture report on how 9-11 and COVID has changed travel. I'm Javon Harley, the Traveling Culturati on Sirius XM 141 HUR Voices.